0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Pastor Talk podcast. It is good to spend some time with you today as we explore a December topic. It is Christmas season as we are recording this, uh, more technically Advent season. And, you know, some churches in the middle of Christmas have begun having a service sometimes called a blue Christmas service, sometimes a worship service somewhat dedicated to being present with and explicit for people who are going through difficult times. Of course, we know that life doesn't stop in the Christmas season. And though our culture is full of these things like happiness and merriment and joy and all of these sort of popular kind of feel-good sayings, that life still happens and people still suffer loss and difficulty and grief and pain. And so there could be a real disconnect there this time of year. And some churches have Spent time and attention, tried to have worship services that sort of speak to that and honor that experience. And Clint, uh, leading up to this discussion, we're talking a little bit about what we might want to talk about with you this week. And, you know, the conversation that came to me was, you know, I think it might help us all to be reminded of how we get to Christmas as we now celebrate it culturally. I think that that really does matter. And I think especially. If you're joining us this season or at any season in the future, and this is for you a time where everyone around you is talking about being merry and bright and your life feels dark and maybe quiet, then this is an opportunity for you to be reminded that the Christmas story, as the Bible gives it to us, the Christian Christmas story is for you. And we're going to land on that as we move forward in this conversation, stick around because I, I think it's important that we remember that Christmas isn't all of the trappings. That Christmas is a real story of God breaking into the world. And that is for you, regardless of how you're experiencing Christmas this year.
1: I think it's amazing. When you stop and think, Michael, in our culture, it's just amazing how big Christmas is and and what it represents. And so if you if you don't fit that that mold of what we've kind of defined as the perfect Christmas, right? If you don't have children or if you don't have children at home or if you don't get to travel to be home or if you've lost somebody, the the idea that you don't fit into the, the kind of Christmas mold. And I think that's an important thing to think about. But I think, as you said, to back up and say, well, how did it get here? How did we get such expectations how did we get such weight on this day that we supposedly celebrate the birth of Jesus but also all of the stuff yeah. that goes with it and and you and I have joked through the years you love most everything about christmas i'm a little more skeptical about a lot of christmas i i do love christmas or at least the idea of christmas but so much of what goes with it i i just sometimes feel um I feel kind of challenged by and sometimes overwhelmed by, and sometimes I'm not the biggest fan of all the different aspects of Christmas. And so I recently did some reading uh, a book that kind of traced the history of Christmas, specifically through the lens of opposition to Christmas. And you you may know this, but for centuries, the Christian church didn't have Christmas. Christmas was not a, a thing in the early church, that there was no recognition. I mean, part of that may be obvious to you because there's nowhere in the scripture that it tells us when Jesus was born. Uh, But over time, the idea developed of celebrating the birth of Christ. And it was most often set kind of nine months from the spring when Jesus was uh, thought to have been crucified. And this tradition arose that Jesus would have been conceived and crucified and born uh, at the same dates, on the same kind of seasonal dates. And so December 25th was a popular date as Christmas began to be celebrated in the first instances. Also, January 6th was an important date. Uh, December 23rd was a Christmas date for a while in some places. Through the years, eventually, we landed on December 25th, though a significant portion of the church still celebrates January 6th as the more important day, but not in the Western world. That tends to be more true in the Eastern world, in the Orthodox world. I I think what's surprising, at least what surprised me, was that Christmas was not particularly well-received. Significant portions of the Christian church pushed back on the idea of Christmas as either idolatrous or even blasphemous. The idea that, Um, we assigned Jesus a birthday, the idea that we celebrated a birthday, the idea that we were doing something, highlighting something that wasn't in the Bible, that we were keeping a festival that isn't in Scripture. This was problematic for early Christians, and it took a long time for those uh, concerns to go away. In fact, for a significant part of its early history, Christmas was downplayed by the church, and it was kind of grabbed By the culture, it happened during the winter solstice. So there's a kind of large pagan celebration. So already you have a season that lent itself to wildness, to drunkenness, to kind of acting out. It's the middle of winter. It's dark. Those kind of things, and and at least in significant parts of the world, and and so Christmas was not particularly well thought of by Christians for a long time. I I mentioned this in a sermon recently. in America, in Puritan America, Christmas was outlawed. The first generation to arrive on the shores of America made it illegal as best they could to celebrate Christmas. And I I think that surprises people. Christmas has a a far humbler origin than I think most of us imagine, given what it is now.
0: Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong on this. I I believe part of the book you're referencing is right yeah this here, is right? yeah. Christmas and the crosshair so if you're interested in in dialing in a little bit more on this you might want to look into this book
1: here. the only thing that that I would say as as a an awareness for you this is written by a historian yeah it is very dense <laughs> okay and it is very thorough it is not simply America he goes into history throughout the world. Um, I would not call this an an easy read, though parts of it are a very interesting read.
0: So the reason I throw it up there is I I think that title, Christmas in the Crosshairs, is really interesting because we currently live in this moment, Clint, where people talk about this idea of the war on Christmas. I think it's going to be surprising to people to find out that in many cases, the first shots in the war against Christmas came from Christians, that's an inversion of what we think today, where you think, you know, that the culture is waging war on the Christian idea of Christmas, that that actually at its inception, Christmas caused a lot of heartburn, a lot of concern, a lot of, I mean, to use the word like heresy is a substantial claim by a Christian, and so I just, it's worth noting that Christmas is a fluid, moving, even at some points in time, very controversial celebration. And you don't need to care about the history. If you're not a reader, don't worry. You you don't need to read that book to enter into this conversation. But I think this one idea is so essential for us to be able to talk about this idea of having a blue Christmas. And that is to say that the Christmas that we have today is not a pure instantiated... In other words, AD 71... Christians weren't doing what we do at Christmas, and, and that's an easy assumption to make, is that we, we're essentially carrying on the traditions of hundreds and thousands of years. That's not the case. And so if we can be aware that Christmas has changed and shaped, then we can also be the, aware of the ways in which it has been and hasn't been faithful to the biblical account. And we can ask questions of it that may reveal to us some space in Christmas that we presently don't celebrate as much as we might want
1: to or need to. I would go so far as to say, historically speaking, most of the efforts to silence Christmas have come from the church. Mm. Uh, it, it has been Christians. And not only would our fathers and mothers in the faith not recognize anything we do with Christmas, they would have significant reservations about the very idea of Christmas. and And I think you know it it's helpful to know that that's not uh that's not grinch that's not scrooge it's just to say that this thing that we experience as now right a six week season that comprises religion and culture and characters and biblical references and songs this thing that has grown into these enormous proportions ha- has a fairly humble beginning and a fairly checkered history in in many parts of at least the church's story and and i do think that helps with some of the pressure when we feel you know that everything has to be just right that we have to get the perfect gift that we have to eat the right food that we have to get the travel arrangements just right we 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 have to it helps to take a breather and realize we don't right The, the christian church and society survived for millennia not knowing exactly what to do with Christmas. And so if we still don't know exactly what to do with it, that that's perfectly fine. We're okay.
0: I think an important point to come to as we talk about the difficult parts of Christmas is to first recognize some of the artificial good that has been injected into Christmas. And I was interested to learn, and and I'd love if you would share with us a little bit about the artists and the poets and the... People who took what was a rough Christmas and turned it into more of a family and and sort of happy sort of season.
1: Yeah. So in the early 1800s, particularly in the East, in a place like New York, Christmas was a, a day in which the tradition was for essentially gangs of people to roam the streets and to break into houses. To take things, there was a lot, there was some violence, there was a lot of theft, there was a lot of drinking. It was not considered a family holiday, really by any by any stretch, by any reasonable definition. And there were people thinking, we need to get rid of this. Well, it, it coincided with a time in the early 1800s um, where some notable poetry, uh, one that everyone would probably know, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas." Right. This is one of the early um evidences of this kind of movement. You have until then, you have this idea of St. Nick, St. Nicholas, there are other regional Christmas figures scattered throughout the globe, but this movement, this songs, poems, stories, they really center on this term, this title, and this character, Santa Claus, who who doesn't exist in any way that we would necessarily recognize until that point. And it's really at that point, you know, St. Nicholas is kind of a, a, a stoic saint, thin, gaunt, kind of serious. But now in the aftermath of, of this movement, you get the idea of Holly, Jolly. you know, his, he, he shook like a bowl full of jelly and his eyes sparkled and twinkled and he's off in a flash. Even the even the language of just that poem kind of helps you see the transition that gets made, and really from then on, it's a snowball rolling downhill. Um, prints get made of Santa Claus, a big, jolly round figure. The red, the white, the idea of gifts, the idea of coming down the chimney. A lot of this gets reinvented and popularized in a pretty short window of history. Say twenty. To thirty years or so, and from then on, it Christmas changes changes dramatically, and you begin then to see the stores getting involved. You begin to see decorations. You, um, it also coincides with a time where the economy is doing pretty well, at least in America. So people have the discretionary income to buy gifts, and and that begins to happen. And so um, you you have this. One of the things that gets lost, you know, in most places, along with whatever figure it was that gave gifts, there was a figure that w- children were afraid of. They, mm-hmm. for the naughty children, right? They come and snatch you from your bed. Right. They're, my favorite is, is named the, uh, I forget her first name, she's called the disemboweler. <laughs> and so she comes in and splits kids open who are naughty, right? Removes their, their intestines. And so, um, Now you have, you get that reframed for a family story. We're about the worst thing that happens is Santa brings you coal. Right. You know, so that I, you don't have that punishment idea anymore. And you have the American family kind of leaning into this narrative of giving children gifts, making them happy. And it really does well for Christmas. And since then, you know, obviously the, mid-1800s is a long ways away. But since then, Christmas has kind of been on a steady rise. There have been some bumps. Um, There have been some regimes, the Nazis, the communists, who really in their own way tried to either co-opt Christmas or get rid of it completely because it had religious overtones. But really from that point, it becomes possible to celebrate what we would call a cultural Christmas, a Christmas that isn't entirely wrapped up with Jesus and manger and story because now you have Santa Claus and elves and you have this alternate story that lives a little more comfortably within the American culture. And I I really think, at least for me, the most interesting history in the church is early in Christmas. But from a Christian cultural standpoint, it's kind of the last hundred years or so as Christmas has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger through the years. And we've Uh, created this thing that now seems impossible to get a leash on.
0: Well, and so what makes this so important, and maybe this is anti-intuitive to you, because we told you we're going to be talking about how Christians respond to the stuff that makes Christmas difficult. And you think, well, this is a lot of history, but this is a critical turning point because so much of what we think of as our cultural celebration of Christmas is rooted and embedded in some of these merry, bright, joyful, it all works out in the end kind of themes. Like for instance, you think of a classic Christmas movie like White Christmas. Well, even though there's a drought at the very end it's going to be a white christmas right there's no snow and the movie's going to end with snow or you have uh, every time a bell rings the angel gets its weight you have these christmas miracle stories and these miracle stories lead to these ever increasing levels of everything works out if you just believe then all of the bad will will turn away and there'll be light and there'll be good at christmas and so what you have is you have the cultural christmas story teaching us how Christmas is supposed to feel. This is the emotion that a true Christmas experience should elicit within you. And this may sound obvious. I hope it doesn't sound overly elementary. I think it bears repeating and it bears reminding that that is not inherently coming from the Christian Christmas story. In fact, if we're to zoom in on the story of Christmas, what you're going to find is a very sparse telling of Jesus's birth. It's only in two New Testament Gospels. The stories themselves are very limited. They include a limited cast of characters of Mary and Joseph. You have shepherds uh, and with them some angels. Of course, you have wise men. but as you know, Christians are off to tell, they're not included in the Christmas Night story. that's that's a whole, Sort of epilogue to the story. So, the the point being here is, we made up characters that sort of fit the story. Things like the shopkeeper that that that's not in the Bible. We've made up uh, the idea that they're surrounded by animals. So, I mean, we would like for that to maybe be true in our nativity scenes, but the Bible is not interested in these sort of trappings conversations, and instead introduces us to people at some really difficult pivotal, life-turning-type moments. And and for us to see that God is able to come into the midst of their lives and break into their world, even amidst that difficulty and struggle.
1: I think that, that again, one of the struggles that we've kind of created, Michael, is that we, we chase this, I don't know if you'd call it perfection, right? But we want to get our houses just right. We, we, we go all in a lot. So many people go all in for Christmas. And so if, if you're at a point where you don't feel particularly engaged, if life isn't s- such that you're feeling peace and joy on earth and all of that stuff, we don't always know what to do with it, and so to to your point earlier, you know the idea that we would need some kind of special invitation for people who might be struggling, uh, like that we would do Christmas for them separately, right? B- because th- there's so much idea wrapped up in Christmas that it should be perfect and joyful, and and we all know it isn't, right? But we love. We love that idea that there could be the perfect gift and the perfect moment and the perfect little window of togetherness for our family. And and if you get those, uh, obviously those are tremendous blessings and you should be deeply, deeply grateful for them, but they can't be manufactured. And so what do we do? Why did we think reading a story about a displaced, poor couple, bowing to the whims of the power of their day, and a a bloodthirsty ruler who chi- who kills children in the aftermath of a threat to his power, and, and we got from there, right, to all is calm, all is bright, right, and. I, I, it, it doesn't always leave room for everyone. The the first Christmas is very messy, and and if you read those stories, right, it's all room for for people who don't know what to do with it because that's the only people there are.
0: Yep, I I think a biblical example of this, and this is a small illustration, but I, I think it helps serve the point. That just comes from the Christmas story in Luke chapter two. And, you know, we have this song, Joy to the World, which, if you've ever been in a full sanctuary and you've heard Joy to the World and and you've got a loud instrument behind it and the congregation's singing because it's a well known song, there's an energy, there's an enthusiasm, there's a joy to it, right? And look at Luke chapter two here. Uh, It says very simply um, that the angel of the Lord stands before the shepherds, glory of the Lord shines around them. The shepherds were naturally. Terrified. The angel says to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. Isn't it interesting that the first joy to the world was reassurance for the terror? (laughs) And so our lives are lived in rhythms and cycles. And there are some Christmases, and I've had these and I cherish them, are, are moments where there's a sense of closeness to family, the, the traditions, the, the meal, the music, the, the church, all of it comes together and, and it makes a beautiful memory. And when we get those, we cherish them. There are many, many moments in which our stories look far more like the biblical story than they do like the cultural Christmas story, moments of doubt, uh, moments of fear uh, we both know and, uh, and we've been with church people who have lost loved ones right before christmas uh, been with people who christmas is the moment in which their financial lives dropped out from under them and their job is gone and and they have no clue what's going to come next and in those moments that feeling of terror the reassurance of joy to the world there's good news of great joy that, that the Savior has come. That's a radically different story than if you've been good all year, then you get to get presents and you get to eat lots of food and spend time making memories doing the same thing you did last year with your family. We have to be able to parse between these things because I, I think it's ironic to me, Clint, that people would come to a Christian church and that they would feel like they would need to go to a different service that would represent their experience. Because the biblical story is that Jesus Christ invaded the world. God took on flesh so that God himself would know humanity to our fullest, that God would come in to the darkness, that God would bring light into the place where light was not before. And and so this idea people should come to our sanctuaries every Sunday to be reminded that the good news is for them regardless of what their experience is. And so this word is for those of you who may find Christmas to be maybe a burden. Uh, Maybe Christmas is hanging over you. Uh, Maybe you're trying to work yourself up to get to what you think Christmas should be. And I think at this point in the conversation, I would encourage you, that maybe this is a good year to return to the Christmas stories of the Bible and to look into the life of Mary, for instance, who is told that her entire life is going to be disrupted. And she responds with faith. She says, let it be done. And, and that may be your invitation this Christmas is to invite God in your own life, to be open to God and say, Lord, let it be done. Well, may your will be done. In my life. That's an incredible testament of faith from a very young woman. And and that is what Christmas is about. It's about God bringing good news into dark places, God disrupting the things that we thought we knew for something even better. And we're going to miss that if we inject a need that we've been given to make Christmas feel or think or act in a particular way, because we're by definition going to be caught up in that stuff, rather than what God is doing in Jesus Christ. The
1: Christmas stories, you all may know this, are basically found in two places in the Bible, Matthew and Luke. And the most commonly repeated phrase among the two versions of the story is be not afraid. Don't be afraid. That That's the most common greeting to all the people of Christmas. God keeps showing up to announce this good news and people keep reacting with fear. And so the reassurance of Christmas starts off, be not afraid. And, you know, th- that's telling because that's the fundamental problem that Christmas seeks to solve mm. it is fear, is unsettledness, is disconnect. And as, as wonderful as our cultural Christmas is, as fun as Santa Claus and stockings and Lights and gifts and tinsel and all the rest, as wonderful as that stuff can be, it doesn't mind the depths of human experience enough to be able to say to us in our moments of fear, don't be afraid, that God is here, that God is at work, that Christ has come, that uh, there's a child born to all, great joy for all people. And, you know, this needs to be and it needs to continue to be the foundation and the cornerstone of Christmas for Christians. Um, Sometimes the church has fought itself over Christmas. Lately, we've been fighting the world over Christmas a lot. And and some of that's fair. The world has co-opted a lot of our story. But if, if we stick to the heart of it, Christmas is a reassurance that God is at work. And so if you find yourself in a Christmas season struggling with life, you're not the first. And the the idea that we need to sort of have separate experiences of Christmas for those who things are going great and for those whom, for things, you know, aren't going well. I, I, I understand what churches try to do with Blue Christmas, Michael, and I, and I, I respect it and I understand, I, I mean, i I certainly feel like i'm I know a little something about a, a blue Christmas kind of season, but i I think what it what it unfortunately communicates is the same thing that people feel that there's not room for me in quote unquote real Christmas. and we're here to tell you, and the scripture certainly tells you that it is exactly the opposite yeah that that Christmas is big enough. For all of our life experience, and if it's ever communicated that it isn't from the church, then we have failed to do it well. That the church has failed to communicate that yes, candy canes and sprinkles and all the rest, hot chocolate—that's all good. But sometimes there are tears and struggles and loneliness at Christmas, and Christmas is about that too. In fact, that's where it starts. That's its origin, and so. Um, I I think we need to do better than, Hey, join us on this particular day. And that's where we'll really lean into the hard parts of Christmas. It, it needs to be a part of the human story because it's a part of the divine story.
0: There's, there's this deep feeling. I think that, that Chris Christmas needs to connect us to something timeless. And, I'll not go long down this road, but I was reflecting with Clint before recording here. You know, it strikes me the cultural Christmas stuff that I turn to this time of year, uh, this is literally the only time of year I listen to Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra. i I, I don't mind their voices, but that's the only songs I listen to. And it's the only time of year I watch black and white movies. It's. It's a fascinating sort of moment in time that has captured my attention of of Christmas. And these are the things that I make part of it. And I'm not going to lie to you. I like them. I like doing it. It's a fun part of the celebration for me. That said, that's not Christmas as it is. And enjoying a thing is different than living into a reality of a thing. And, and forgetting that that's not the real thing. And, and, and this is absolutely essential because at the end of the day, uh, Christmas is a story about God coming into the world, disrupting the powerful, lifting up the poor and the weak, and proving that God doesn't need a pedigree to do the thing that will save the world, that that God doesn't need announcements at the palace God doesn't need approval from the human powers that be, that when God chooses, God chooses who he will work through and and ultimately he will accomplish his purpose. And so uh, by way of summarizing uh, Clint's words, I think in my own words, it's just simply to say, when we practice Christmas and we've done it for a long time and we built up traditions and habits, yours too, might look like listening to some particular music artist or watching a particular film, or maybe more powerfully celebrating with a particular person or doing a particular thing. And maybe you can't do that anymore. Or maybe you just find yourself in a season that you think you're supposed to be high and excited and emotionally lifted up and you feel down and you feel blue. If that's you, then I think the question that, Christmas affords you is how is God broken into my life? how How is God present even in the dark places? Because the beautiful imagery that comes from the third gospel that talks about Christmas, the Gospel of John, uh, is that what we think of as the traditional Christmas story. But John frames Christmas or the coming of the Christ as light breaking into darkness. And maybe in this conversation, that helps us. this idea, that sometimes the dark places of our life become the places where it's easiest to see the light of Christ that is shining. Because that darkness being dispelled by the light makes the light's presence so clear. And I that may be for you the place to lean into this Christmas. Instead of feeling beholden to what you have done, the question for you might be, where is God in this season what light can i see even honoring and recognizing the darkness and that's not you being a grinch that's not you being a person who uh, is giving up on the spirit of christmas whatever that means that that's you honoring the life that you are presently living with the awareness the faithful awareness that wherever we are living our life, Jesus Christ promises to be with us. And that is what Christmas is, God taking flesh, God Emmanuel, God breaking into our world, God breaking into your life. And um, if all you get from this is two pastors reflecting on the history of Christmas, and maybe offering a little contextualization of what that means, if you get anything, I hope you get permission to invite Jesus Christ into this season of your life be- because he wants to be there, and you don't need another version of Christmas to get there. That's the version of Christmas that we've been given.
1: Check me here, Michael, but I, f- I feel like for a lot of people, the signature moment of Christmas, at least outside of their home, is the Christmas Eve service and the moment we sing Silent Night by candlelight. And you know, I've talked to many, many people over the year who say that's their favorite part of Christmas services, and uh, I've I've spent a little time thinking about ooh, what it is about that moment, and A, it, it's the last thing that a lot of people have to do in the Christmas season. I mean, the next day is Christmas, yeah, right. that night is Christmas Eve, whether they're morning families or evening families in terms of their own gatherings but so there may be a sense of relief in it right. but I but I believe it to be deeper than that I think it is that moment where with the candlelight silent Night's a good song but it's not it, it's <laughs> not a it's not the kind of song that if you hear it driving in your car you have to pull over because you're overwhelmed you you know the song it's fine but in that context, It feels like the closest approximation I think many of us get to peace, Mm. to to a moment of light in the darkness, of the noise going away, and and the idea that there is something represented by the candlelight that is pure, that is true, that, that is sacred, might even say holy. Um. Having said that, we now start Christmas culturally speaking somewhere out around mid-November. I I saw Christmas candy and Halloween candy sharing shelves. So we we now have I'm I'm going to be conservative and say a six week run up.
0: That's conservative.
1: If in six weeks Of Christmas stuff and four weeks of hardcore Christmas stuff. (laughs) Hardcore Christmas. (laughs) If the minute and a half of Silent Night is the only moment you felt some connection to the comfort Mm -hmm. and, and stillness and peace of the season, I'm glad you did. But you missed some opportunities we we missed some opportunities there needs to be more than just that moment where, oh, this is church Christmas Church Christmas needs to work its way into all the rest of our christmas and and I don't mean to replace it i'm I'm not one of those war on Christmas down with all of it i I it gets a little bit much for me and i and I've admitted that a lot, but I think we need to make sure that we don't experience it as two different things. Oh, we have cultural Christmas over here, but then I get these few minutes of of church Christmas, and it's really nice, and then back to the other one to get the gifts open. Let Christmas, the full breadth of it, the joy mm. to the world and the do not be afraid, be a part of your entire preparation and expectation and experience of Christmas. I think ultimately that's our goal as Christian people.
0: That's really well said. I want to give just a short little practical example of that, because I, I think in one way the the words are maybe easy to talk about, and maybe it's hard to, to understand and live that out. I, we Being a pastor means that the Christmas season is a, a busy work time, and so you, you fit Christmas in amongst your family traditions, all this kind of thing. And it was not long ago, Clint, that... We were going to go to family after our Christmas service. And so we needed to get our presents done beforehand, blah, blah, blah. Long story the short version, there's a thing that happened at church that I needed to run in for at the time we thought we were going to open our presents. And my girls, now like, you know, <laughs> uh, five years old, nine years old, whatever dad had to leave just as we were starting presents. And it was like their entire world crumbled around them, right? The walls collapsed, the earthquake was happening, and they were devastated because, of course, they were looking forward to opening presents. Yes, all these things. We took it as an opportunity as best as we could, and no lesson was actually learned, I understand. But we tried to take it as an opportunity to say, we're gonna get interrupted. It's okay. There's no perfect Christmas, guys. We will we'll open our presents. We're gonna have a great time. But but Christmas isn't about making it perfect. Christmas is recognizing that as we live life, we're gonna have to be flexible. And whether a child understands that lesson, I don't think they do when presents are hanging over their That's head. True. But but How are you practicing that kind of flexibility in your own families? How are you, when things go wrong, even if you're not in a blue season Christmas, when things don't go the way that you would like them to, what kind of attitude do you have about that? And are you teaching those that you love through those actions as a person of faith, are you teaching that Christmas is more nuanced and more rich and more full than whether or not it all goes to plan? Because I... There's a lesson in that. It may be a small lesson, but a meaningful one.
1: I think that it's it's telling that the earliest Christians were a little skeptical of Christmas because they were afraid it could distract us from Jesus. And they could not have imagined what Christmas would become. I, I don't believe that our ancestors in the faith could dream of the Christmas we now celebrate and and the way in which it's woven in to our cultural experience but their concern is still founded is there is there a theme of christmas is there a thread of christmas for christians you can you can comfortably have christmas without jesus in america right millions of people do it oh yeah we cannot do it in the church We we cannot allow that to substitute for having a Christmas that is rooted in and built upon the foundation of Emmanuel, God is with us, joy to the world, peace be to all. These are the things that have to carry the way that we celebrate Christmas. Can we do the other stuff? I I think we can. Some Christians would say, no, you, you can't. I would say you can. I just think you have to do them thoughtfully in order to do them faithfully. Christmas as a cultural event raises lots of questions for Christian. Raises questions about materialism and finances and debt and lots of other things. Um, But those, I think, can be navigated. I, I think we can do that well. What we can't do is let the world set our Christmas agenda for us. And whether things are going well, great for you, all is great, wonderful, be thankful, or whether things are a struggle, there is still the promise of Christmas for you and the promise of peace, joy, love, comfort, and strength found in it.
0: That's interesting that you end in that place because I remind you that, Christians have a word that we use. It's shorthand that describes the idea of the good news. Remember that good news that the angels proclaim. We call it the gospel. And so Christmas is the first telling of the gospel, the good news that God has come. And so I simply repeat, no matter how you find this conversation today or how you might find it in the future, may you know the good news, that God has come into the world and that that has been the inflection point of all time. No matter what season you find yourself in today, tomorrow, or eternity to come, that is the God who has chosen to break into the world to save you and to be with you in the midst of all of it. So take hope in that, find in that strength and courage and an opportunity, an invitation to faith And we sincerely hope that that will be a part of your experience of Christmas this year.
1: Absolutely. Merry Christmas. Uh, Thanks for listening. And we enjoy having the opportunity to have these conversations with you and hope that they're helpful. Hey, we want to thank you for listening to this broadcast. We're grateful for the support and the connections, the relationships we get to make through some of these offerings. We hope that they've been helpful. We know that there are lots of choices that you have, lots of things you can listen to. We want to make you aware of some of what we're doing, and we greatly appreciate you being a part of it.
0: Absolutely. We want to just thank you for being one of our audio podcast listeners. It's amazing to have you with us in the midst of our conversations. Of course, I hope you know that you can find the whole archive of all of these conversations at pastortalk.co. We would love for you to join us there. You can find options for subscribing by email. You can easily share things there with other people who you think might appreciate recordings like this. And of course, we just want to welcome you if you're ever interested in joining us for the video podcast you can do that on youtube It is youtube.com slash FPC Spirit Lake. There you can comment and engage with us, or if you would prefer to do that uh, without going to YouTube, you can actually just click the link in the description of this podcast where you will be able to send us a form and information and, and reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and engage in conversation with you. Thanks again for taking time to be with us. We look forward to our next conversation and can't wait to see you then.